0: Many many thanks for the well wishes, the prayers, the messages and your patience as we missed last week. But I'm back. I have a lot to say. So let's get started on this week's Corey True Act show. This is the best thing the best thing that could be happening. And I think you would all agree the best thing is that it's happening you and me. One thing I'm going to do is pretend that everyone noticed because I think a lot of you just went, wait, you uh, you were gone last week? What? Oh, sure, we noticed. I'm, I'm sure that happened for some of you, but I'm going to pretend that that's not the case. Welcome to the Corey Act Show, wherever you find podcasts and right here on his radio talk. At least one person from the live show on Saturday morning reached out to say, hey man, what's going on? Why do you got a, a, a rerun on? Well, there was a lot of reasons, and those of you who listen to the podcast got the two-minute version, but... Many of those things are many of those uh, those things going on in my life. Very important things are starting to conclude. Uh, hey, I was able to close on the house. Some of you asked about that, so that uh, I'm I'm back and you're going to find that time to spend some time in front of the microphone, which is almost therapeutic for me and I hope beneficial to you. Let's start here. I don't know if you grew up the same way I did. I, I grew up with the old axiom. You read the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And that axiom was coming from a place that I don't live anymore regarding the interpretation of parts of the Bible like Matthew 24, 23 or 24, where the Olivet Discourse is, all of the book of Revelation, certain parts of the book of Daniel, that if you are reading discerningly, then you'll see what the Bible's prophecies are and you'll see them in your newspaper. And you'll probably see them in the Western world because that's where you live and we're the center of everything. So you're probably going to see it in America, maybe Western Europe, but that's where you're going to see prophecy laid out. I think those folks in a lot of ways, in most ways actually, had it wrong. But I recently listened to a sermon or heard a sermon at Beechwood Church. I forgot to tell you that, by the way. One uh one week off, and I forgot the rhythm of the show. If you don't know, I get to serve the awesome people of Beachwood Church as their pastor for teaching, and we meet at 10.30 on Sunday mornings, and you're invited any given Sunday morning to Beachwood Church. We're right on one twenty-three. Now, back to my point. We're in a long series in the book of Revelation, and our I'll go with lead pastor. I like the, um, the way John Piper said it for churches like ours, where there is not the one leader. There's a plurality of elders. But there might be a first among equals, and our lead pastor, my big brother as well, was preaching through Revelation 18 Sunday morning. And I had several moments, certainly a personal conviction, but also thinking, man, if if I was reading this with the newspaper or just the internet in the other hand, that old axiom proves very true. Revelation eighteen is judgment on Babylon, is how it's written. Some folks will interpret that to mean the coming judgment on just the the sec, the secular kingdoms of the world. Some of them will read it as uh, at one time a, a a judgment on Rome. However, you interpret it, we we do learn that here are some reasons God judges a people, and and will eventually withdraw any kind of common grace and allow the consequences of their actions to befall them. So it's a passage of judgment. And while, again, there was personal conviction, I was just evaluating the land in which I live, the time that the Lord has placed me. And I found my, my postulation of the last few years that were under the judgment of God was just really clear and true. I... I said to someone recently who was asking me about midterm elections, uh, it, it, was, it was clear to me, 2016, an, an election between those two people, the Republican and Democratic nominee then, that's a judgment. That's a judgment of God. I, I look around in the midterms and saw, like, yeah, if, if you're in Pennsylvania and you're choosing a weirdo TV doctor with no real conservative worldview and a, a man who recently suffered from a stroke and he and really can't cognitively processed, yeah, that's a judgment of God. If that's what you're choosing between, if you're in Georgia and you're choosing between an, an apostate heretic and someone with a, a really checkered past and doesn't seem to have, sometimes doesn't seem to have his full faculties about him, who's been accused of some really heinous things, yeah, that's a judgment of God. Like the, These are the people being put forward to lead. There, There's wickedness everywhere. If it's anywhere there's not wickedness, there's just childishness and inanity. Yeah, that's the judgment of God when there there isn't even often a good leecher to choose from. The menu you have is a terrible menu. Well, in that same vein, as I've been saying for a while, the, the American people are under God's judgment. I just want to walk you through some of the things I heard in that sermon and thought, yeah, we are certainly under the judgment of God. In Revelation 18, the first thing, and not just the first thing, but even said somewhat often in that passage that the Lord is judging, is a sexually immoral people. And you don't have to think, man, you wouldn't have to watch your TV for more than a few minutes to figure that out. You wouldn't have to peruse some social media for longer than a few minutes and you'd pick that up. We are a perverse people that normalizes sin. We are bathed in pornography. It's everywhere. And I mean, the more technical definition of it, surely, the the, the stuff on particular websites that used to be in magazines, yeah, there, there's pornography everywhere. But there's... The stuff you can just get on normal social media used to be thought of as pornography. We... Ha, nor, normalize homosexuality to the extent that it's not just a, an action equal under the law, but a pride month to celebrate it. And you, you, you are the weirdo, you are the degenerate if you would critique that one bit. Not just normalize sin, but celebrate sin. It's its a weird to the world now that me and my soon-to-be wife don't have any kind of sexual relationship. That's weird to them, because the actual sin to this culture is what we're doing. Where the the real sin is what's just normal. So everyone, that's just what the world practices. I mean, I talking about reading in your uh, in your newspaper. I just saw this week a couple stories of teachers having sexual relationships with students, and how in the Mar- the Maryland school system, there's a five hundred percent increase in students, elementary school students and middle school students. Identifying as LGBT, one of them, as gender non-conforming. That's not some genetic oddity that we miss that's happening in Maryland. There's not something in the water. That's something we have superimposed on kids through our perverse culture. That Revelation 18 says God judges a people who are sexually immoral. And we are a horrifically sexually immoral people. That Revelation 18 calls out people that ju- that God is coming to judge for a people that leans on their own comforts and luxuries. That they count on their comforts and luxuries to be that which will get them through hard times, that will prevent hard times. Again, just, just witness your culture for a minute. We are obsessed with the glory of the self, Whatever you say you are is true. We make our own truths and live in that luxury. You know what I notice about us? We live wholly. That starts with a W. Not wholly as in like God, but fully. We live fully ungrateful for our easy lives. We have incredible comforts and luxuries. And it, I, I fear it does not occur to us often that, to be grateful for that. Here I sit in my third bedroom. I don't need one of those, but I got one. I'm sitting in my third bedroom that has my like awesome piano in it, and all my cool books I'm looking at now, and looking out at my street. I get to inc- I get to record now in front of a window, and instead of the, a corner, it's pretty cool. I have right behind me running water, and I can go downstairs to my refrigerated. Uh, for refrigerated snacks, and if I don't want cold snacks, I have a microwave to make them warm. I live in relative peace and ease, sanguinity. I mean, what a world. And we live in these luxuries and comforts, assuming they will always be there. There was a portion of that revelation that struck me, where uh, it's it's as if the people of Babylon are, are the ones being quoted, and they're saying, I am no Widow. It, it was a boat, I can't remember the rest of that sentence, but it was boastful. It was as if saying, "Oh yeah, something like I will not, I will not mourn. Like I am no widow. I will not mourn." Sort of declaring everything I have, I'm going to keep having, and nothing's ever going to stop this. That tends to be how we live. It takes major life events for us to to realize that things are fragile. I can tell you this right now, me and my soon-to-be wife, we are living in that time, in one of those times where the fragility of life has been made so clear, and things that you think you can count on, you just can't always count on, are going to keep going your way. We would be wise to be a people, to be a church, to clean up our act first, that judgment begins in the house of the Lord, that we live in gratefulness for our luxuries and our comforts, and not leaning on them at all. That if our luxuries and our comforts are gone tomorrow, we say, the, the, my Redeemer lives. And that's what I need. Uh, yeah, I'll go ahead and say it. I, 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 of course, don't know what's coming in the, in the decades before us. And I, I pray for revival. But if the West continues down its own route... Of the denigration of Christians and Christian worldview, guys, there are going to be riches lost, jobs lost. We are we are going to possibly be a people with when I, I mean Christians with less physical stability, financial stability, and if we count on our comforts. When the time comes to choose our comforts and our luxuries instead of being true to that which is right, good, and faithful to Bible teaching, it's it's going to be hard to untangle our hearts from our stuff. We're going to need each other. We're going to need to be people who share, and it's hard to share when your heart is wrapped up in your own comforts. So Revelation 18 says God judges a sexually immoral people. He judges a people who lean on their comforts and their luxuries. And then it was incredible to me how specific they got, even on the, the the luxuries and the comforts, talking about the materials that you use for incredible housing or the cosmetics used to make ourselves feel better about ourselves and the delicacies, that the ways that we get to eat. And these are all good things. It's good that we can have awesome houses. It's good that we can use cosmetics to make ourselves smell a little better and look a little better. It's good that even in Greenville, South Carolina, I can eat cuisine of probably 20 different cultures or more within an hour of where I live. That's good. That's awesome. And then our hearts not be knitted to them. To just be, ha- to be grateful that that's true. And if I get downgraded in housing to... Uh, a tiny home, or I'm in a single wide. That's okay. And if my budget gets decimated to the extent that I can't, I can't afford my gym membership anymore. All right, well then that I mean, that's cosmetics for guys. Girls wear makeup. Guys go to the gym, or we just work out generally. Then okay, fine. If I'm if I can no longer enjoy all the delicacies that downtown Greenville offers, and I am stuck on Lunchables, Jello, and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Okay. They're, they're fine, but they don't, I don't need those. I I, ju- I I not just see America. I can see these in the church. A, ch- a church in the country that uh, uh, we have in the United States that so quickly forgives pastors for sexual sin and just lets them right back in. We just came through a lot of denominations having to deal with the fact that we did not deal seriously enough with men using their power to sexually exploit children and women. We, we don't take seriously enough the sexual sin in our own houses. It's more likely that we're going to, when we're going to rail on something, we're going to preach against something, we're going to preach against the sins of the world and not mention how, how knitted our hearts are to our comforts and our luxuries. I, it was convicting for me, and I'm trying to bring those convictions to you if they are relevant to you, to search our own hearts. You know, I, I'll finish here. I saw two other stories this week. This wasn't as much in the Revelation 18 passage. There was a little bit there, but not, not a lot. There were 12 police officers shot in one, I think it was in one week, a couple weeks ago. I saw a story of a guy in Manhattan who went into a McDonald's there in the heart of New York City with a hatchet, a hatchet. I'm going to say it again, a hatchet. If I understand correctly, he didn't hurt anybody with the hatchet, but he terrorized a bunch of people. And then a week later, he was arrested for another violent crime. Now get that. He went into a McDonald's with a hatchet, was arrested. He was free and walking around New York City in less than a week to terrorize other people. That's just two examples of a a super high crime time right now. And I remember back to Noah's day. And what God judged people for was often violence. It's part of what was mentioned in Nineveh for Jonah. And when I add up our sexual immorality, our our hearts clinging to comforts and luxuries, the violence in our land, from everybody to the unborn to the vulnerable, would it surprise you at all for me to conclude that we're under the judgment of God? Maybe the American church, and by extension, the... American governmental experience, the civic experience. I think that's where we are. And so I give you bad news and I'll just give you this. What what answer is there? There's only the one. There's only the gospel. There is re- repent and believe. We start with the house of the Lord. We get our house straight and then we go out in strength to the rest of the world. When we come back, I got a ton. I want to talk about the He Gets Us campaign. That's kind of a problem uh, some economic news and I think some COVID follow-up like I like to do from time to time as well. We'll do that and more when you return for the rest of the Corey Act show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Let's stay in that church commentary role for just a few more minutes here on the Corey Act show, wherever you find podcasts and on his radio talk after a one week hiatus, I am just so glad to be back. You can find me, your host, on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Look for my weird name, Corey Truax. You will find me there. You can also email the show at Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. Corey Truax Show at gmail.com. As many of you did, hit me on social media and emails. Just lots of encouragement. Thank you. Once again, let me start with the facts, probably. Yeah, it's always the best place to start, are the facts. There's a campaign right now called. He gets us. It's generated some controversy, and I went and did my own perusing to see uh, if I should also participate in the controversy and provide some clarity to it. Here's what I found. Long article in Christianity Today, if you want to read it. It's a $100 million advertising strategy where they are... They're saying it's the reintroduction of Jesus to American culture, or some people saying the rebranding, rebranding of Jesus to American culture. I can see the instinct for that. One of the challenges in the South to evangelism or to see that the faith grow is that everyone thinks they already know. They grew up in church, they know some hymns, there were some vacation Bible schools, and everyone thinks they know everything there is to know about Jesus— And the Jesus they were taught was often westernized, maybe southernized, Americanized, and so they didn't get a genuine look. And so I understand the instinct to uh, reintroduce to a Western world who thinks they know everything there is to know about Jesus, to reintroduce him and reintroduce him with the price tag of $100 million. Now you might ask, what does that $100 million buy you? Well, it's TV buys. So in major markets around the country doing advertisements if you go to their youtube channel you can find some of those ads actually i'll go ahead and just play one of them for you here so you get a taste of what we're dealing with i have to click two things right press play here we go uh this is one of the ads from the he gets us campaign a rebel took to the streets he recruited others to join him they roamed the hood and challenged authority i should probably stop and mention the images going with the screen they're all still images And I would put these images somewhere in South L.A. It's primarily uh, Hispanic folks. Not all the ads are like this, but um, they are. uh, There's a lot of tattoos up the neck. I I wouldn't call this gang-related pictures, but definitely a a rougher-looking crowd. Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I just want you to get an idea of what the images are. Community leaders feared them. Religious leaders abhorred them. We have to get them off the streets, they said. But they weren't part of a gang spreading hate and terror. They were spreading love. Then the screen says Jesus was wrongly judged. He gets us. All of us is the caption. And then it sends you to the hegetsus.com website. There's lots of those videos. And then if you just go to the He Gets Us website so that you know what $100 million buys you, here is what you'll see. I'm just going there live on the air right now just to say, uh, what's it say? um the here's some of the language mocked by elites betrayed by friends imprisoned by politicians killed by authorities and forgave them all jesus and then some articles like jesus was fed up with politics too or uh what's another one here Uh, can i judge without being judgmental did jesus face criticism Uh, how did jesus deal with injustice i think this is strategic there's really not a white face anywhere on this um I mean, we're becoming a much more diverse country. Oh, here's a couple white faces. I don't care about such things. I'm just saying strategically, there might be something going on here. Um, there's a couple of other article titles. Jesus invited everyone to sit at his table. Did Jesus have fun? Was Jesus ever lonely? Oh, here we go. Was Jesus ever stressed? Did Jesus ever have anxiety? The theme being, Jesus experienced everything we experienced. He was fully human. Uh, I, liked, I, I like that term. It's confusing when someone says he was 100% man, 100% God, because that math doesn't add up. But to say he was fully man and fully God represents that, I think, is a better way to say it. So there's the fact. That's what's happening, $100 million spent on TV ads. They say their goal is to reintroduce, rebrand Jesus to a Western world who thinks they already know everything about them. Now, about him, I should have said. I go and read a lot of the website. I've not read anyone else's critique of it. I I very specifically wanted to stay away from others' opinions on this until I talked about it. I don't want to be influenced. Here is something I found. As they are saying here, the the strategy is, this is not for the church. This is for people who think they know Jesus or don't know at all. This is for the uninitiated. We're not introducing them to any denomination, any particular... uh, any particular religion, religious system? We're just trying to get people to look at Jesus for who He is. When you go to the website, even there is no way to look up a church. You can. Uh, there's four action items that you can for like the learn more all section. I'm going to click over there here, and it's uh, take action. You can give. Of course, you can always donate. You can get gear. That's. But there's really uh, what the. Yeah, what's under take action? You can. Read about Jesus, and I I clicked on that. It takes you to the Bible reading plan. That's actually quite good. And then there's local groups or talk to someone local. Oh, here's another action plan. Text for prayer or positivity. Oh boy, positivity. I don't know what that means, really. Uh, All right, so I think i have given you all the facts. Here's what I noticed on the website. There is nothing, and I mean this. There is nothing that says Jesus is king, Jesus is God, Jesus is divine the fullness of the website is jesus got you he understands you are you stressed out he was stressed are you lonely he was lonely do you have anxiety are you worried well he was lonely he had anxiety and he worried he he gets your struggles now is that true yes it's true uh, we have a sympathetic high priest i think paul wrote that if i'm wrong it's whoever wrote hebrews we have a sympathetic high priest he gets he does know uh, you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. There is plenty of Bible to emphasize, yes, it's a glorious truth. I think we we are underwhelmed by it when we sing it. Coming up on Christmas here soon, we're going to sing that line, Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. That is maybe weird syntax, grammar, but it is profound. The Godhead, the eternal Putting on a veil of flesh—that's crazy cool to think about. God in the flesh, the idea of while we were yet sinning, Christ died for us. The, uh, the idea of dying for us, having to leave glory and come down—it is incredible that God put on a body. I think it's in—is it in Christ alone? Um, in Christ alone, he, he put on put on flesh. That is an, an incredible, profound truth it's just incomplete i i don't know how it's hard it's hard for me cuz i know what they're arguing at least how it seems what they're arguing is we are just an entry point let we're not trying to give theology we are just trying to get people to give a second look of jesus we're doing marketing here we're not doing theology we're not even doing conversion this isn't even evangelism this is marketing for jesus to get people to take a closer look. And right now, where we live in this moment, the attractive thing about Jesus is that he gets you, he understands you. In a world where you feel misunderstood and you don't feel seen, Jesus can really see you. And so just come take a closer look. Have a conversation with somebody. I, So I'm forming my opinion. You should know about it, especially if you're a believer. You should know there's $100 million being spent to advertise Jesus. I I saw it all. there's an opportunity here where people like me and people like you could sign up as the person someone would contact. So that they are compelled by a video and decide, I actually do want to talk to somebody about Jesus. And if we sign up with this group, then it might be one of us that someone gets to talk to with sound theology and who who can actually give a faithful rendering of the gospel. I just don't know where I sit yet. It's someone said this recently in like a mental health uh context. I can't remember where they I saw the interview, but they said clarity is kindness. I know some of you you resonate with that. Your your personality type is just say the thing you mean, okay? And in personal in an, interpersonal relationships, I do actually tend to be the beat around the bush guy. I'm trying to find the most diplomatic, least intrusive way to say any given thing, and that frustrates some folks that I won't just say the thing I'm trying to say. And I am that way with just about everything. But there is a line on theology. Say the thing you want. Say the thing you believe. And I it's nebulous for me when I can't put my finger on the problem. I think I said this to you all maybe five or six years ago when I got into the Bible Project, G- incredible resource. I'm a huge fan of the Bible Project and what they do, and it was introduced to me, I think, by Chandler Moats. Uh, he was my work study at North Greenville. Now, getting to serve the incredible folks up at I think First Baptist Marietta as one of one of their pastors. I remember when I was introduced to it, I, I had there was uh, the Southern folks would say. I got a, is it a stick in my craw or something like that? Like, it felt like something's off about these people. And the further I got into them, that feeling dissipated. But then a few years in, I found out, oh, like, I think they don't think hell's real. Like, they, they have a different theology of the eternal soul and eternal judgment. And I, I so I think they're probably wrong. They have not been crystal clear about it because they are sometimes muddy. They're not clear about... What they, what they believe. And clarity on these things, it would be kind. It's a kindness to be clear about where you stand on stuff. And I think that's where my hesitancy with these, uh, what are they called again? Yeah, the He Gets Us campaign. Is it so muddy? It feels unkind that you've been unclear about all the things you believe. And so I don't know if I want to sign up with you. But you, anyway, you should know that it's out there. If I come to any further conclusions, I'm I am now going. Then I'll tell you I'm going to start seeking out. You know, has, has Al Mohler said anything about these folks? Has, you know, I guess Matt Chandler's not saying anything right now. But has David Platt mentioned anything? The people I trust, J- John Piper. Have I has, has someone written about it that I trust? Has Tim Challey's written about this already? I'll go see, seek that out and maybe come back with a recommendation. Because let, let's say they are sound, that would be a pretty cool resource if we were all available and uh, the money is b- being pumped into the system and people who might want to talk about spiritual things shoot you a text that you're on the, the the list of people they might contact that would be helpful in a world that needs conversion needs repentance and faith let we might need to be the resource for that because this campaign i've seen it does not call people to com- to repentance it does not call people to faith it only calls people to take take a look at jesus I don't. That's not enough, but it could be the first step. So anyway, it's out there. You should know about it. Uh, let's. You know what we'll do? Take an early break and then come back and just do a lot of things just going on in the world. Hopefully, the best I can from a Christian and biblical, more important biblical worldview. So we'll do that when you come back. If you have thoughts on that, or you know more than I do about the He Gets Us campaign, will you let me know? Just hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I'd love to know what you know. If I've if I missed anything, for all I know. Someone has already found no, these guys are kind of heretics, or for that matter, I couldn't find it. But it this struck me as a very Mormon thing because the Mormons have gajillions of dollars to spend. And I can't find who is giving this hundred million dollars. So I I don't know yet. If you know more than I do, reach out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or Corey Truac Show at gmail.com. Corey Show at gmail.com. We'll take an early break, come back for a longer than usual final segment here on the Corey Truack Show on his radio talk and wherever you find podcasts. Many many things I want to do with the final segment of the Corey Truax show on his radio talk and wherever you listen to podcasts. But I'm going to start with something that I just think is funny, and it's going to make some of you angry. I could get some emails about what I'm about to say. Welcome back to the show. Let's start with the New York Times. They recently put out. Man, I'm going to get in trouble for this. I know it. Uh, they put out a they put out a an article really pumping up. Ketanji Brown Jackson, the new Supreme Court justice, that she's been super involved in the oral arguments. It started early in October in all of the cases, and she's kind of like dominated the room in the first aid arguments, and they were really pumping her up as just being aggressive, and that's good. She's, quote, taking up space, end quote, and that's apparently a very important thing to do. And so they put up this chart that of all of how many words each justice has spoken during oral arguments, and at the top is Ketanji Brown Jackson with eleven thousand and three words. That's a lot of words, right? Now here's the next, here's the next four justices: Amy Coney Barrett, Sonia Sotomayor, and Elena Kagan. That's numbers two, three, and four. They're all around forty-four hundred words give or take so actually, the two newest justices are the ones that have said the most Ketanji Brown Jackson at 11,000 and then Amy Coney Barrett along with Sonia Sotomayor Elena Kagan all at four around 4,400 now number five is John Roberts at 3,400 then it drops to Neil Gorsuch and Brett Kavanaugh both around 2,500 Samuel Alito has spoken eighty eight hundred and eighty three 883 words and Clarence Thomas has spoken 96 words I feel like I don't have to say it out loud, but maybe saying it out loud is funny and it might make some folks uncomfortable, but it's also just part of, it's part of reality, and I like to point out reality. Are we, are we just going to pretend that it's not the case that women just talk more? That's all I got from this graph. The top four speakers are the four women on the court. Then there's a 500-word gap and the first guy to speak is John Roberts, and he's the most effeminate of the bunch. This is not. This is not like this has been shared by the New York Times. Is this big? Uh, you know, p- power, power to the system. Like this, this woman has come in and talked a lot, guys. Before she got there, apparently the ladies were talking the most anyway. As we all know, is true. I can't remember that study about in a, in a lifetime how many words a woman will say versus a man, it, but it's a lot more. And that's coming from a dude who talks a lot. Now, granted, I get paid to talk a lot. In social settings, I'm more than happy to just shut up and let other people do the talking. Uh, But uh, that's number one in our rapid-fire final segment is it's supposed to be a big deal that Katanji Brown Jackson's talking a lot. And all it really proves is something we all know. Women talk more than dudes do. And we kind of like it that way. Uh, Story number two. I think I've told you the story before that I, I got into thinking about political things and the, the world around me, into civics is the word I prefer, civics, after 9-11. And so my entryway was more foreign policy and understanding the globe. But that quickly developed and I became, I, I would say, primarily an economics guy. I really, I, I care most, of course, about righteousness and morality uh, but let's say that was not my theology, where righteousness and morality were core, uh, core to how I engage with the world. Economics would be what drives me. And economics is what drives me, I think, because of the biblical worldview. The, the, the biblical stance on humanity is we love humans. We want them to thrive and flourish. And we also want them to have dignity, the dignity God gave all humans. And so what I want is economic systems and economic policies from governments all over the world that allow for flourishing, allow for development, allow for even comfort and maybe even opulence and great wealth and doing, though, doing that in dignity for the most people. So there's a real biblical worldview consequences to how we view economic policy. We don't like economic policy that hurts people. That diminishes their chance at taking care of themselves or that diminishes their dignity of being the one who cares for themselves. Because being cared for by someone else when you should be responsible for yourself, it denigrates God's image on a human. To look at another human and to say, you can't care for yourself. We're going to have to have the state do it. We're going to have to take care of you like you're a child. This denigrates dignity on humans. And so uh, using that platform, let me give you the headline. I've lost the headline, so I'll give you the story. I saw the story that the average American retirement fund since the beginning of this year has lost $34,000, which is around 25% of value. Guys, if you have a 401k or an investment fund, don't look at it right now. Also, don't listen to me for financial advice, but if you can help it, don't sell. I believe it'll, it'll all come back in the future, but man, we're we're getting slaughtered. And that is, financially, that's probably too strong of a word when you're talking about money, but economic policy matters because $34,000 out of the 401k of a 60-year-old man and his 60-year-old wife, that's a big deal, guys. This hurts people. Economic policy of just dumping dollar after dollar after dollar for no particular reason except trying to buy votes into a system, it hurts people there are people having to make really hard decisions about fundamental stuff like gas and groceries because we decided by we i mean as an entire country don't 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 let off the hook folks on the right who in 2020 just said yeah let's spend 6 trillion dollars that we don't have let's just go ahead and i'll give you some of the ones that make me the most mad people who are getting the enhanced unemployment That doesn't necessarily bother me. I I understand part of this was the government was saying, you're not allowed to work, and because you're not allowed to work, well, they have to make you whole. They're the ones that have cost you all this money. Now, the better thing would have been to let people work. But if they're keeping you from work, they have to make sure you can take care of yourself. But because we are not a nimble people, and because we don't have the ability to think critically, the same amount of additional unemployment was going to people who live in California, New York, New Jersey, as was going to places like Mississippi, Louisiana, and South Carolina. Well, of course that's absurd. Your rent and cost of living in those parts of the country are so much higher than, than, than they are here. Why are we just pumping out money? I mean, listen, I saw people do it. There, there's a There's a reason that we have a problem right now with certain types of semiconductors people in the south and the midwest with lower cost of living who were often still going to work were getting stimulus checks they bought TVs with or other devices and the people that didn't go to work or sometimes making more money on unemployment than they were making and for that matter we and we did both things at the same time we said don't pay you don't have to pay your rent if you don't want to you don't have to pay your mortgage if you don't want to and we're going to send you money all right well that money just goes into spending like crazy on our obsession with stuff our obsession with devices and here we are years later it was a couple years later a new administration comes in and says yeah we need more spending like that let's just pump that out let's pump some more stimulus in there oh and while we're at it we're going to forgive a bunch of student loans so for those of you paying two or three hundred dollars a month on that instead go go on a trip and put more pressure on our our oil supply and then for that matter not, not being able to balance properly the The real interest of environmental health with economic health, let's just make it harder or even impossible to pump any more oil ourselves. Let's go to evil regimes around the world like the Saudis and ask them to pump the oil, which is still going to create the emissions, but we don't feel like we did it. And so we're going to cost people a bunch. We're going to cost poor people and lower middle class people economically. We're going to cost them financial security so that we can feel better about our Environmental output while we're still going around the world and having someone else pump the stuff into the atmosphere? This is what I'm saying. Economics and policy, it hurts people or helps people. Here we go, coming up here soon. The job losses are coming. We have diminished demand so intensely through raising these interest rates. And by the way, we're probably doing the right thing with the interest rates. We might be going a little too fast, but we're doing the right thing raising interest rates. As demand diminishes, Job, losses, or hour cut, hours getting cut, it's going to happen. And then you have the worst of both worlds. Inflation is still surging. I I wish I had a better idea than just raising interest rates another, another percentage point, maybe two more percentage points over the next six months, because that hurts. That hurts a lot to have to do that. But that's all we can do. We've got to get this amount of money out of circulation. And that, infl- that inflation is surging. Things are getting more expensive right before some number of folks are going to start losing their jobs and are getting their hours cut. Economic policy matters from a biblical worldview because it hurts, it hurts or helps people. And these economic policies hurt people. I'll take you back to 2011. There was so much made of the compassion for the Affordable Care Act. And how it was going to help some tens of millions of people in a country of 310 million, and then you start seeing the stories: new policy from Darden restaurants, new policy from all kinds of di- all kinds of different places. Hours being cut to 29 hours per per week. Oh, why? I wonder why 29 hours. Oh, because there's a, uh, a, a a clause. There's a part of the law in the Affordable Care Act is once you work 30 hours a week, your employer is now required to get to pay for your health insurance. And so people who are working 40 hours a week and were fine, young, healthy, okay with not having health insurance, they are told you can only work 29 hours a week. And now they're either having to find part-time jobs or they lost their job. Best best I remember, it was 5.5 million jobs just eliminated. 5.5 million people in part providing for their family or maybe the sole provider of their family so that someone else could feel good about themselves in a health care policy just says, you're out. Yeah, we think this healthcare policy is worth you losing your job, having your hours cut. Economics matters because it helps people or hurts people. I, just, I look at human history and where people thrive because I love humans and I want them to thrive. And the, the policies that lead to human flourishing economically are the opposite of what we're doing now. I think I mentioned it before that silent Cal Coolidge, Calvin Coolidge, he might be my favorite president. And one of the stats from those roaring 20s was at the beginning of the 20s, most American households didn't have these three things. Oh boy, Uh, it's electricity, it's a car, and indoor plumbing. And by the end of the 20s, the average American household had two out of three. You now, it might it might not be a car. It's electricity. It's indoor plumbing. It's one more thing. Maybe it was a car, but it was just ten years of rapid bro- growth. Can can you imagine that? The average American household didn't have indoor plumbing in 1920, still using outhouses and maybe having to go to the well and pump. And there were some. There was some piping. There were some sewer systems, but it wasn't widespread. The country hadn't quite urbanized. We were still quite spread out. And in ten years. The average American has indoor plumbing? The average American has electricity in their house? How cool is that? How much better was that for humanity? And the system that allowed that was Calvin Coolidge basically shutting up and getting out of the way and not having a heavy hand of government in that economic policy, and people did so well. You come to the 80s, another time of flourishing... Yeah, I know a lot of the kickback I get on this all the time is, well, yeah, well, the rich got really rich. They sure did. Yeah, but the average American so flourished. Are you willing to let go of your jealousy and your covetousness for what other people have just to recognize humans are flourishing? They're doing better. And certainly people can get left behind in these systems. And okay, cool, let's make let's make way for that. And let's make a way to bring them along. But I, I see that story. It all started with this. It's, I see the story where someone says, not someone says, a study shows, demonstrates, retirement funds down 25%, 34 grand out of people's wealth to retire on. And I'll call, It's just wrong. Policies that continue to exacerbate the problem, like student loan transfers, it's wrong. It hurts people. And we are not for the policies that hurt people. What do you ah? Uh, Lay, I'll keep going on this. What I find often is th- is the people who hold to economic thinking that ultimately hurts people is not out of malice. It's actually usually what they view as their own compassion. They view themselves as wanting to help the little guy. And it ends up being, I think, somewhat childish thinking. They're not able to do multi-factor analysis. All they know is, I'm sad that that person doesn't have stuff, and so I need to give them some stuff. Right? Well, th- listen, there's a lot of consequences to that. This is, these are very complicated things. We're going to have to think deeply about them. So it's not out of malice, I think, folks, make these bad economic choices. They're just not mature enough. And that's what we need to call people to. One of the calls in that sermon I mentioned at the beginning of this show was about discernment. Being discerning people. And if we're going to pursue financial policy that helps the most people, it's going to take discernment. Okay, Uh, I had a lot I wanted to do here. So let's, uh, we'll do this one. You know, I like to revisit COVID policy and because I think we got it so wrong. Just to revisit some of the, I told you so type stories. We've seen many of them over the years, but here's another new one. The lowest ACT scores... In since they've been recorded happened in 2021. And I work in the higher education world, so this matters to me. We're, we're talking a, about a, po- a point and a half, a little bit more than that. That's closer to two. It's 1.7. Lower on the average ACT. It cost our kids something to say, you don't get to go to school. It cost our kids something in the long term to make it seem like school doesn't matter, that it's not fundamental to your life, and sending them home. Other COVID stories I collected over the last couple of weeks that feel good. They feel like a vindication. Man, I hope I didn't mention these two weeks ago. You know, I haven't done a show in two weeks, and so I kind of forget what I covered and what I didn't. But there was a couple court cases that went the right way. Uh, one in Wisconsin and one in Pennsylvania. Here, I found it. Also, one in Delaware. All found that stuff that a lot of us were saying uh, during the 2020 election was was wrong. The the drop boxes system in Wisconsin, the mail-in system in Pennsylvania, the mail in system in Delaware, all recently had judges find those to be illegal. They weren't by the way, that doesn't just a, that does not discredit the outcome of the twenty twenty election. It's just, hey, all of you who've kind of not just kind of that freaked out and through law and order and decency just out you just tossed it. Out of fear, now with the clarity of of years and time, this is good that these things are being made right. And it's good that we reckon with the wreckage visited upon us. With our, the the mental, the mental health breakdown, we were already on a precipice. And then the way we handled COVID just sending people home and not interacting with others. We exacerbated our mental health problem. Now we're finding all the learning loss with kids, the, the way that go- governments just did whatever they wanted is finally getting dealt with. All that's good. I, I will admit, I do find a little bit of a little bit of satisfaction in some of the "I told you so"s. That's and while that satisfaction, that satisfaction is actually quite selfish, because what I'm looking at is what I just talked about a minute ago. I'm seeing people hurt. These things hurt people, and we we don't like that. The image of God is on humans. The image of God is on these children. We want to see them thrive. We want to see them do well. We don't want to see all the negative mental health breakdowns and meltdowns that we have post-COVID. We don't like seeing the consequences that medical treatments and, and medical preventative measures had to be postponed. Oh, mm, wrong language. Were chosen to be postponed out of everyone's freak out or fear over one thing. It hurt people to do. And so while I'm not asking for judgment or like, legal consequences on people who behaved in any given way it is important to soberly take time look back and ask what did we do that hurt people should we have done it let's reevaluate because we know unfortunately uh, disasters come and we gotta be people who can discern the right thing to do even when uh, times are incredibly tough I think I wanna end here uh, of course my my wedding is imminent There's a lot going on. I am going to ask again for your prayers. A lot to do and little time to do it. Um, And hopefully we'll not be missing any more shows uh, anytime soon. I do mean this on the He Gets Us campaign. If anybody knows anything, I don't. I would highly covet and value your input as I try to figure out what to do with it, what category in which to put that campaign. I will be back with another new edition of the Corey Truax Show next week on His Radio Talk and wherever you find podcasts. Until then, peace and love.